0: Welcome to How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships from True Story FM. Today, may it please the toaster, we're talking to your judge.
1: Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm Seth Nelson. And as always, I'm here with my good friend, Pete Wright. We've talked about all the different ways to get a divorce. Today, we finally have a resource on the show. Who can tell us once and for all if I, Seth Robert Nelson, attorney at law, am right about anything. Judge Wesley Tibbles serves as the circuit court judge in the thirteenth Judicial Circuit, presiding over family court matters. We certainly don't want to say Judge Tibbles has seen it all, but it's not a stretch to say he's seen a lot. He's here today to share this divorce process from his perspective on the bench. Judge Tibbles, welcome to the toaster.
2: Pete and Seth, thank you very much for having me today. I certainly appreciate it, and I'm hope I'm able to answer some questions for you all and your audience, and also um, to give a little bit more information uh, and sort of demystify uh, the process of what happens sort of behind the bench and uh, behind the
1: closed doors. So, thanks a bunch for having me. We sure appreciate it. No, no, we we don't want to do all that. Hold on, wait a minute. <laughs> if we do all that, why do we need lawyers, Judge? Yeah, you right, Mystify right. the process. There must be some secrets out there.
0: Look, I, I think you all should know, I come to this episode with an agenda and I have uh, prepared a list of questions that are most important to me as somebody who has been podcasting with Seth now, nay, a number of years. One, what is Seth like as a lawyer? Two, what's it like knowing you don't have to laugh at all of Seth's jokes? Three, does Seth talk nearly as much in court as he does on this show. Four, how close have you come to throwing Seth out of court, and what's it going to take for us to get there? And five, the most important question, what's it like to see Seth in the courtroom and immediately know the other party's going to win? Mm, listeners have to know uh, what it's like working with this <laughs> okay, guy. none <laughs> of those are important.
2: <laughs> One can't answer, two can't answer, three is yes, four is no, and five... Um, I won't answer that because it might affect <laughs> Seth's reputation. So. Hey,
0: this, this is a good match, Seth. I'm so glad we're here uh, having this. Uh, way to go. Uh, so we're really excited, to, in all seriousness, to have you on the show because we've talked a lot about the divorce process. And never have we talked about the divorce process from the perspective of the bench. When people actually end up in court, what is the judge looking at? when looking at the litigants. Uh, and so I think maybe, what do you think, Seth? We start with that. As, as the judge, what do you see when you look down uh, from the bench at
2: uh, at your participants in the courtroom? So for the last probably two and a half years, uh, I haven't really seen anybody in person from the bench because I've been doing most of the things from uh, over Zoom to keep people, you know, to come to court and, and continue to have that access to courts. But I think one of the really important things is um, to make sure that people understand we're going to hear the bad stuff. We're going to hear the good stuff. Probably one of the things that people try and do um, and overdo is to either hide their own bad stuff or emphasize the other person's bad stuff. And when that happens, you really open yourself up to the other lawyer or the other party because the other lawyer is going to know your case and the other party is certainly going to know you almost always and they're going to know you way better than your own lawyer, way better than their lawyer, and way better than the judge. So I think honesty goes such a long way, especially in terms of just acknowledging you know, we all have our own faults. And that acknowledgement goes a long way because I've now thinking about it from the, from a perspective of the children, these children are going to go somewhere. So just acknowledge your own faults
1: and let's see where we can go from there. And I think to that point, Judge Tibbles is a parent. A lot of the other family law judges are parents. And if you come to court and you can only bash the other side and you're perfect, That's just not real life. That's not parenting. Judge, when you hear it that way, where one person is terrible, your client, my client is perfect. From my perspective, from this side of the bench, I'm not giving the judge what he needs to make a decision because he's obviously not hearing the whole story. Is that a fair assessment? I
2: I think that's a fair assessment. And Seth, you've heard me say this in court before, certainly um, when I first started, um, and when we were doing some in-person uh, hearings. And Pete, just so you know, what the, the way that we operate is every case within about the first 90 to 120 days after it's filed will have some sort of an appearance in court. We call that a case management conference. Um, it is everyone's first opportunity to come to court. And one of the things that I used to say a lot or speeches that I used to give a lot um, and I still do every once in a while is you need to really figure this out on your own because as Seth said, I'm a parent, but I'm not the parent to your kids. And you need to be the parent to your kids. And if you think I can make me as the judge can make a better decision um, and will know your family as well as you, you're sadly mistaken. And you really ought to be making as many of these decisions about parenting and about moving forward in your relationship with your former spouse or the mother or father of your child. Uh, You need to do that on your own. And um, you can get some guidance from lawyers and counselors and those types of people, and you get some guidance from the judge. But overall, ultimately, these are your kids to raise.
0: I'm struck by the requirement uh, on you to remain grounded in such a way that allows you to read the room in a way that is um, that, that, that sees through all of the stuff that is coming at you from, from so many different positions, from the opposing parties. Um, how, how do you do that? How do you stay grounded such that you can see through the consternation, the conflict?
2: Based on experience, both as a lawyer and as now seven years as a judge, um, and I think Seth can, can sort of speak to this as well, and it kind of goes back to the first point. Everybody's got their faults, so you just learn to understand and try to get where people are coming from, um, making sure that you're prepared as the judge, making sure that you are listening as the judge. And making sure that you are doing your best to meet people where they are, but also acknowledge that there are certain decisions, uh, you know, you, you, you've you got, I've got a process that I follow in every case and it's, you go through this process and that's where the decision is. But in the family court area, you do have to understand that there are some people that you're really going to have to meet where you are, where they are and using the tools that I have, which are very limited, and try to pull them in the right direction.
1: And that's the thing to point out, Pete, is when you're in court, Judge Tibbles and all judges on family law court have what we like to say as a sledgehammer when they make the decision. When you're trying to settle your case, and another judge in family law court says this, that we have a scalpel. (laughs) We can really carve things out and be much more creative and do things that the, Judge Tibbles doesn't even have the power to do.
2: That's exactly right. And it's one of those things that I think litigants and people that come into court need to understand is that there are so very few tools that a family law judge has to um, give guidance versus making decisions. And ultimately, the judge is there to make decisions based on the law and based on the facts. And Seth can probably tell you this. I've certainly had to make decisions that they came out in a certain way, and that's not where I wanted them to turn out either morally or ethically or whatever the case might be, but that's what the law and the facts are. And that's why I like to emphasize to people that come into court is Judges are the last people that ought to be making your decisions for your family moving forward. We really are. and But understanding that that is the way, that's the system that we have, and that may be the ultimate course that families take, it really should be a last resort. You ought to really try and be creative, as Seth was saying. I
0: deeply appreciate that that perspective, and, and we've talked a number of times to people who have... Um, contentious divorces, and even though they might know, yeah, it's a last resort to go to court, their rage, their frustration, their inability to to get through conflict leads them to feel like they want to go to court. They have some sort of a, uh, they're going to court because it feels like it's a battlefield. What do you say to those folks?
2: Those are the folks that um, are typically the parties that will end up staying in court for the remainder of their, if it has to do with children. Um, And the one thing that I try to emphasize to the battlers, there's never a winner. There's never a winner in family court. There are, everybody loses something and it just depends on, how angry you want to be when you leave court losing more than you anticipated. And I think that's probably uh, that is a tact that I take uh, in addressing parties um, in, in those situations. And sometimes it gets through and sometimes it doesn't. And the ones where it doesn't, they go to trial and then they're usually back in court repeatedly until their children um, age out. That over the age of 18 in Florida.
1: And part of that, Pete, is because a couple things that litigants that want their day in court do not understand. You don't get your day in court. The lawyer that you hired gets your day in court. In fact, in court, you're treated like a child. You speak when spoken to and just answer the question. If If I have A client sitting next to me and they start piping up, the judge is going to say, I'm sorry, you have a lawyer that's going to speak on your behalf. And then they're leaning over to me. And then they're whispering in my ear. And then they're writing notes. In all of that, I believe, and I explain this to my clients, and Judge Tibbles can answer the question if he thinks it's appropriate, impacts Judge Tibbles' view of that person that he is judging on figuring out to do what's best for your children, and if you can't sit in a courtroom and keep your mouth quiet, that's going to have an impact because Judge Tibbles is human.
0: A great question. Like, how much of a, how much of these kinds of
2: signals are you paying attention to? So I pay attention to all of those signals and set the scene judgments and orders and things that i've written and one of the paragraphs that i always include in my final judgments of cases that i have to try if, if i actually write the judgment myself is um statements on credibility and i make observations about how people behave in court i make observations about um Perhaps mannerisms uh, anymore with Zoom. I make observations as to whether or not they're smoking cigarettes and drinking a beer during the final hearing, which both things have happened. I was
0: just, I was just wondering. I've got to put away some stuff here in the background.
1: He's not talking about the lawyers there. or Maybe he is. I'm not sure, <laughs> <laughs> uh That was a lo-
2: that was a that was a party. Um, I've had some questions about some of the lawyer behavior, but. I won't explicitly say anything <laughs> about that today. Uh, but, but yes, uh, Pete, the short answer is I look at all those things and, um, the way in, and, and some of it is it's visual, it's observing, it's seeing what people are doing, what they're, how they're acting in court. Are they frantic when a certain answer is made by their, uh, the other party that's, that's the sitting on the witness stand. The courtroom is a, very dynamic place um, when you're trying a case. It is an incredibly dynamic case. There is so much going on. And I admittedly miss some things because of, you know, you're talking about just a natural field of vision and where people sit in the courtroom and what I happen to be doing.
1: And, And let's just talk through that for a minute, Judge, because people see it on the movies, right? So if we're in family court, and I think this has changed on Zoom, But if you're in the courtroom in Hillsborough County in a family law court, the witness stand is actually next to the judge's bench. And it's at kind of an angle. And then Judge Tibbles and the other judges might have a computer screen or two up in front of them. They've got evidence binders with documents in front of them. Then they might have the statute that they're referring to or their own notes or their own kind of shorthand on how they do things and then they have a lawyer sitting down asking questions so judge tibbles do you even have a very good view of the witness it's a great question because the visual that seth laid out is
2: is really accurate and the other thing i think to point out at least in in our courtrooms in tampa when our courthouse uh was built this section of the courthouse the model of what was referred to and still is referred to as therapeutic justice was sort of in the forefront of the minds of the designers as to who laid out our floor on the fourth floor of the family law courts. So our courtrooms are small; they look nothing like a courtroom that you're going to see in a movie or on a television show, except in two courtrooms on the fourth floor. The judge is not in an elevated bench; we're all floor level with 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 the litigants, with the parties, with everyone, and as Seth said, the witness stand is almost out of my field of vision for the actual witness that's on the stand, which is strange. So I have taken to, on more than one occasion, leaving the witnesses, the parties at their council table. Just so you can look at them eye to eye. So that I can see them. Absolutely. So that I can see them. When we've had traditional trials and we have witnesses and I have them in the, in the, um, in the witness stand, I move the things around on my desk and turn so that I can actually see them. And I can typically have a, still have a pretty good view of what's going on in the courtroom and still have a good idea of what's going on in the witness stand. So the field of vision has to be very wide if you're operating in our courtroom which is one reason why, frankly, I have actually enjoyed trying cases over Zoom. I can see a lot more, I think. Now, my colleagues will tell you they feel much differently about that. And you do miss some things. But I enjoy and I feel like I get some good view of
1: things that are going on uh, on Zoom. Pete, it's back to school season. It's coming up. It can be difficult times for those going through a divorce. It's especially true when alcohol and child safety is concerned.
0: It sure is, Seth. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm sure we don't need to go back to our very special guest, Judge Dibbles, and ask his opinion on this, because I'll bet he's going to say, get your house in order, do something right for yourself. And on How to Split a Toaster, our mission is helping save relationships. And when you're in the courtroom, you got to have something you can trust. That's why we partnered with Soberlink to help offer resources to help you navigate the back-to-school season, get your house in order, get your kids in order, get your life in order. Uh, Look to Soberlink to help.
1: Soberlink's a remote alcohol monitoring technology that's created to prove your sobriety in custody cases and to help keep your kids safe. The system includes a high-tech breathalyzing device with facial recognition that allows you to receive real-time updates from the monitored co-parents anytime, anywhere, allowing for swift intervention for improved child safety. So here's the deal. You get this device to prove I'm not drinking, the kids are safe. If you slip up, the other parent knows and they can keep your kids safe so you're not getting in a car You're not making matters worse. This isn't a gotcha device. It's a keep kids safe device.
0: That's perfect. And Soberlink is currently offering a free back-to-school and divorce packet. This includes a QA and a with a top divorce attorney. Uh, I'm just going to say with a nod and a wink, a divorce attorney that we've had on the show talking to us, too. So you're going to see some familiar names there. Uh, we've got a back-to-school checklist. We've got communication tips. We've got all kinds of stuff in this fantastic packet. Soberlink is a wonderful partner for us, and we think you should go request your free packet today at soberlink.com slash toaster. That's www.soberlink.com Slash toaster. Thank you to Soberlink for being a valued sponsor of How to Split a Toaster. Is there such a thing as uh, um, judicial stage fright?
2: That's a really interesting question. I would say yes, when I first started. I would say I'm much more comfortable in the position now. Uh, I still have a level of discomfort when I'm not sitting in the courtroom and I see somebody like Seth in the grocery store and and (laughs) Seth and I have had this conversation in the past. Or if I see him on the street, I don't like to be referred to as judge or a judge or anything else out in public. Um, so that sort of comfort level, but I, I did. I had a little bit of stage fright my first day. Some of that had to do with what happened in my very first hearing that I ever had. But um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's it, there. There is, I think, for sure. And we work through that by all of the judges. All of us have sort of this standing agreement amongst us that if something is happening, if something's going on, and you need a Not a second opinion, but you need to, you know, sort of a maybe a reality check. We'll call a timeout, walk out, go down the hallway. Hey, this is something I haven't seen or heard before. And we all have an agreement that if somebody comes to your door, you basically drop what you're doing and walk out and you talk to them. And we have a good collegial bench that way.
0: That's fascinating. I, it just everything that you have you've been talking about it just it, it makes me think. No matter how deep my expertise in a subject, getting on a, a platform like that and being responsible for judgment is at some level terrifying am Am I going to get it right? Do I know enough? Am I going to you know what are what is my reputation and how is it going to be impacted by the the way I approach these people with my
1: sledgehammer here's what you've touched on, and you 've just described what good judges go through, and that 's why they 're prepared They want the field of vision they 're looking at everything because genuinely speaking most the 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 kind of rule of thumb or or what it was for a long time is in Hillsborough County, new judge gets elected or appointed. And we want to talk about how you actually get this job and keep the job, but they would get sent to family law. And from the family law bench, we'd like, really, we have a brand new judge who's never judged before, has never practiced family law before, and they're learning how to be a judge and they're learning our substantive area and they don't like the topic. And we've had really bad benches just generally where there was a few or more judges that just were very obvious. They did not like the topic. They wanted to get out of this division and go over to criminal or go over to civil contract litigation. And then we've had benches, which frankly we have now, where we have a lot of people on this bench that want to make the right decision, are not disgusted with the topic. They get people are going through a hard time They understand that as lawyers, we're dealing with people going through the worst time in their lives, and they just want the information from the lawyers and the litigants so they can make the best decision as possible. And when we have continuing legal education or judges speaking, they'll tell us, and, and Judge Tibbles, correct me if I'm wrong, that you will be frustrated on the bench when you don't get the information you need to do your job, which is to make the hard decision.
2: That that can be very frustrating um, because, and I will tell you, in those types of cases where we're not getting that information, there's usually a reason for it, and that goes back to some of the topics we talked about earlier, which is that's maybe information that somebody doesn't want out, somebody can't get out, somebody can't get in into evidence, and I think it's important to to also know. I think Pete, you had mentioned. Um, sort of how you go about this and and how you um, you know make these decisions and I'm sort of paraphrasing but and you were asking also and I think Seth had brought this up about your you know your client sort of tugging on your ear and trying to whisper to you and everything else 99% of what that client is trying to tell the lawyer while they're sitting at the counsel table will never get into evidence even if they're Client will stand up and yell it from the rooftops. It's it, it, most of it's hearsay. Most of it's not relevant because they're all the little nitpicky things about. Well, you know that somebody will say a date and it's off by a day, or you know something that just doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things and what we're really listening to. Uh, now, I mean, if you don't know your kid's birthday, that that's going to be a different <laughs> issue, um, which. Right. We've, we've we've had on a regular basis, um, but you know, you just you work through those things.
0: I I think that's what, and you know, I want to transition to how the court is is organized and how you work together because I think you bringing up that how you work with other judges is really uh, fascinating to me. Um, but I, what I hope people hear if they're going through the divorce process is that getting in front of the judge does not mean a loss of humanity. Everyone in the room has an interest in the humanity of your separation.
2: Is that a fair assessment? I think that's a great assessment, but I think it's also important to note that it's there's no loss of humanity, but there's a loss of control. Meaning, if you want the judge to make your decisions or make those decisions, you have given up control. And I say that in different ways to different people. Um, I often use the You know, sort of an analogy of, you know, if you want me to drive the bus or do you want to drive the bus? Right. Um, But with our bench and I think overall with the judges that we have in our circuit, we have a wonderful group of judges um, that are there for the right reasons. They want to do a good job. They want to be prepared. They're doing a good job and they want to be to the extent possible, empathetic and humane, especially in family court. Uh, to the extent that the law and the facts allow you to do that.
0: Okay. So transitioning to how the court is organized, helping people listening to this understand what is going on in the court system. How, how does it work? And you're in a unique position to be able to educate us in this area.
2: In terms of the general makeup of the court, and I'll just, I'll speak to our circuit in particular, we have 69 judges, I believe uh, between our County and circuit court judges. Um, And both county and circuit court judges are generally referred to as our trial court judges. Uh, Then we have a level of appellate judges above us and then the Florida Supreme Court. At the trial court level, from a legislative perspective, the legislature sort of lays out the types of cases that we can hear. As a circuit court judge, um, I can hear felony criminal cases, that kind of stuff. But in, in the family law division, we've got 10 judges that handle family law cases. To the extent we can, uh, we collaborate, um, we ask questions of each other, we talk about the lawyers, uh, we talk about
0: the oh, parties. Oh, I want to talking the, about <laughs> those God lawyers. On that, I'll tell you what.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> that, I'll tell you, you got to be candid with the court because if you're not candid in Judge Tibble's courtroom. There are nine other judges. A, there could potentially be a problem when you're t- when you're two doors down right and the reverse is true yeah when you are candid and you say no judge that's not what i meant or hey yeah that's not what the law is on this judge i know it goes against my position but here's a case that i think is distinguishable and the judge is like good try <laughs> mr nelson but when you bring that forward that makes a difference i think in your next case right we're in front of these judges all the time so is that is that a fair statement judge I, th- I
2: think it is. And I, I mean, it's kind of one of those things that I think it it's it it goes throughout any job, any reputation, any life uh, experience, anything like that. But your reputation is, is what you make of it in terms of the lawyers. And, you know, you can you can spend an entire career building that reputation and then. You know, you can kind of mess it up. But it goes to, again, for those listening, just how small
0: a particular fishbowl is the family law division uh, that you're talking about. It's not it's not like just, you know, 600 judges who one of whom might hear your case. This is tight knit.
1: How many cases do you have, Judge, on your
2: docket? So I have about 750 cases on my docket, give or take, and that's right. In the average area for all ten of us. Okay, define uh, your docket. Those are all of the active cases uh, that I have, and those are anything from dissolution of marriage, um, paternity and custody cases, some sh- limited child support, adoptions. I have I have some separate cases that are only assigned to me as well, in my capacity as the administrative judge. It's a very you know, small set of cases, subset of cases that are in the family law area. You said you are the administrative judge. What does that mean? <laughs> the best way to describe it is I'm uh, the, the first level of complaints. Um, so <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, the com- I'm the complaint department. It comes with, um, uh, and it's actually, I, I probably overstated my qualifications <laughs> for that. I'm actually the associate administrative judge for the family law division. Um, you had, you had asked earlier about the makeup of the court in Florida, we have what are called unified family courts. And there's basically, it's an umbrella and underneath that are three different divisions, at least in Tampa, uh, delinquency, which is juvenile criminal cases, um, a dependency, which most people would refer to as the foster care system. And then the family law court, uh, or domestic relations, which is where I am. So, I'm the associate administrative judge under my little wing. So I have 10 people that I'm sort of in charge of. Um, so if anybody complains, they come to me and know it does not come with a raise. <laughs> I was just
0: going to say, you've just described the cast of The Office. You're the assistant <laughs> to the regional manager of
1: Dunder Mifflin. Paper and you, have no, you have actually, it, I'm, I'm really treading on thin ice here, Pete. I'm telling you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'll answer the question for you. I am Dwight and I have no authority.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Judge. Thank you. You never want to tell yeah. a judge that he doesn't have the power to do something, Pete. I was I was right on that edge. Well, okay. So
2: I, I think it's important to note, too, Pete, that my docket is defined not just by the number of cases, but by what's going on before there's a final judgment, which we all call like your pre-judgment cases, and then what's going on after the final judgment. Because, as I like to say in family law there really never is a final judgment. There's just a first judgment because people continue to litigate, especially if there are children involved, they will continue to come back to court over and over and over.
0: Until the child's 18.
2: (laughs) Is that a fair assessment? Until the child is 18 and, and and sometimes beyond Uh, sometimes beyond that in certain circumstances. Yes.
0: And of those 750 uh, cases currently on your docket on average, how many would you say you're able to work through in a given
2: year? Is that a fair period? or It's a fair period, and I don't know a great way to answer that question other than I, I guess I can answer that question by giving you an example. So we have two courthouses in, uh, in Hillsborough County, the main courthouse, which is in downtown Tampa, and then we have a courthouse in our East Circuit or East Division, which is in Plant City, which is sort of in the northeast corner of Hillsborough County. There are only four judges that are out there. There's two circuit judges and two county court judges. It was built to serve you know, sort of the eastern population, and that entire side of our county has just exploded at this point. So there's a huge population out there, and I won't go into all those stats, but to answer your question, when I started in the East Division, in my my docket, I had about, I think I had 983 cases on my docket when I started. And that was in February of 2019. When I moved back to the Tampa division and went back into the fam- a family law division in Tampa, there were 618 cases. So it's, cases don't stop getting filed. We were just able to close and address and adjudicate cases where we had a net makeup of, what's that, 360-some-odd cases we made up um, those cases. So I made up ground. So we were, we were getting a lot of cases off the docket.
1: But just think about this, Pete. Now, not all these go to trial, but you have 10 judges, yeah. 750 cases around average. That's 7,500 cases pending. And now I'm in front of a judge and I say I have a motion because the parties aren't getting along And it's substantive. It deals with kids. I need one day or a half day or two hours. There's not, if I want a day in Judge Tibbles gives me, gives each client, each litigant one day for their trial. Yeah. For 750 cases and he doesn't take a day off.
0: You're still not hitting you're not giving everybody who needs it attention <laughs> and that was the that's the whole where this whole line of question obviously is going that there are people who are listening to this show wondering why does it take so long? Why is it going to take six months for me to get my one day? And uh, I, I my hope is just hearing the raw numbers you get
2: a sense of why it's taking so long well and, and sometimes it takes so long to get to court, not only because we we do have a lot of cases and we have, you know, only limited amount of time, new cases are being filed all the time, but sometimes for litigants, they actually need that time to pass so that they can uh, address and perhaps um, get through part of the emotional breakup uh, of their family and get to a point where they are able to make decisions that are not based in emotion and not based on the then and there, but based on what they see for themselves and their family a few years down the road or 10 years down the road. And I understand that. And I think all of our judges understand that. And uh, I know for for instance, and for a fact, that SEP has had a couple of cases where they're there's stuff going on outside of the courtroom that I'll never know about. And we'll have a a case management conference or the case will come up because there hasn't been any activity and, and Seth and his client uh, or the other side or, you know, whatever, whoever the lawyer is, judge, we're working. There are a lot of buzzwords judge. We're working through some things. There's a lot going on outside of the courtroom. Our clients are really talking. We're working towards something. We understand what that means. We understand that these parties need some more time, perhaps to heal, uh, to and to get to a point where they are able to make some decisions uh, on their own.
1: And and Pete, we've talked about it on the show, right? I tell people when they come into my office, how long till I get divorced? And this is a person who's at acceptance. They've gone through the grieving process. They're done. Their spouse didn't realize they were grieving or splitting up, and so they're like, in my office, I want this done now. I'm ready to move on. And I'm like, it's gonna take six to 18 months. And they're say, are you not listening? I want it done now. And I said, I am listening. I can't give you what you want. I can tell you, it's six to 18 months. But if you want your case done in five minutes, I can get that done. Agree to the offer from the other side. And they're like, well, I can't do that. I said, well, there's the rub.
0: Six to 18 months.
1: Right. And if we can get it settled and get some documents done and the mandatory disclosures and financial affidavits that we've talked about, Pete, and we can get a marital settlement agreement, we can get a parenting plan, then we can go in front of a judge and say, judge, we've worked it all out. And we'll knock those out in five minutes. I can get a hearing on that within 20 days, right? That's no problem. But when you have the big litigation, and you're fighting over documents, and you're coming back all the time, and you're taking up more of the court's time, and you don't want these judges to remember your case. You have 750 cases. Do you want to be the case that the judge remembers? Yeah, do you want to be
0: the one that stands out over beer later? (laughs) No.
1: (laughs) So that's the problem. Now, to Judge Tibble's point, sometimes clients aren't emotionally ready to settle and to get there. And I've had clients tell me this, Seth, I would have not agreed to this a year ago. Not because it wasn't a good deal then, or it wasn't best for my kids then, is I couldn't see it. I wasn't ready to settle. I had too much anger. I wasn't at acceptance. You know, Some cases, I didn't have a job a year ago. You advised me, Seth, to go get a job, even though I have an alimony claim because you told me it's better to be self-supporting than relying on a check. And now I have a job and I've gotten a raise and I'm not as scared that I'm going to be homeless and penniless because I'm earning my own money. That's a much different dynamic. And judge Tibbles can't deal with that in the courtroom.
2: Well, and and I think also to add to that,
1: or can get to the point of being very
2: self-aware, they will, Acknowledge that they've maybe even got to work on themselves before they can get to a point of acceptance, as Seth said, and that sometimes takes time, and that sometimes takes patience, Um, and those are things that I rarely see uh, as the judge, but I can understand that they are happening outside of court.
1: And when people are presenting these to you, judge, if you can answer this, if you can't, you can't, but. I find litigants are afraid to admit when they aren't perfect. And I try to explain to them, it's okay. You don't have to be the best parent in the world. You have to be real, (laughs) right? And you have to be real in addressing your deficiencies. But that's going to go a whole lot farther, I think, with the presentation to the court and what we're trying to explain than trying to sweep this under the rug. And when you explain that to them, if they buy into that, Pete, they're less nervous because they don't have to be perfect in court. I'm not saying you break out the cigarettes and you pull on your lawyer's you know, ear the whole time, but you don't have to win every point to win the match. And there's no winning. There's, you know, no one's walking out of that courtroom happy with the decision because some's going to go your way, some's not, right? Is that an accurate sense of what you see, Judge, from the bench? It is, um, and it kind of goes back to that point of
2: credibility, and it goes back to that point of nobody wins. it's just who loses less you know before they walk out of court and um, it's it's a very difficult can be a very difficult point to get across um, and I really appreciate the lawyers who make every effort to make that point to their clients um, before we get into court. Um, and it's, it's kind of a classic, you want to address the bad stuff up front and it's sort of a, it can be a classic lawyer move, which is you put your own client on the stand and you, you get the opportunity to have them say the bad stuff about themselves coming from their own mouth, coming from their own lawyer. You get it out of the way and it, it can wipe out the impact of a cross-examination. So I, I'm, I I have to
0: ask a question that I I don't think Seth can uh, can ask. What do you do? You're in court from your perspective, uh, and you see uh, a lawyer that is of questionable approach. A lawyer who, in your estimation, is is not doing a good job, might not be an ethical um, uh,
2: participant in the case. How do you How do you handle that? So it, that's a great question, and it is. Fraught with problems and how to address it. Um, the one thing that I have endeavored to do, and I've not done it every time, I can promise you, is I endeavor in that situation to not embarrass a lawyer in front of his or her client. I think that is, um, I think it's a one of the obligations we have as judges, is not to interfere to the extent possible with the attorney-client relationship. Now, my typical, or I guess my desired reaction would be for me to, at some point, be able to speak directly with that lawyer about his or her conduct. And I have done that in the past, and I try to do that in a in a fashion that is more of a mentoring role. Um, because the last thing any judge wants to do is report a lawyer to the bar so the Florida Bar um, and and that's the that's the governing body for all lawyers in Florida. There's a hundred and seven hundred and eight thousand lawyers in Florida. All of us are required to be members of the Florida Bar and they have a disciplinary arm. My wife is actually on a um, discipline committee. she's a lawyer as well and you just that's not where you want to go so you try to handle it in the best way possible by not embarrassing the lawyer and trying to address it directly if you can in an appropriate fashion. We have some other options in, uh, in Florida. We have a um, uh, professionalism committee that you can refer the lawyer to, and it is, um, it's non-disciplinary. Um, you can't lose your bar license. You can't be suspended, but it is a group of lawyers and judges that are assigned to those committees. To, to sort of have those similar conversations that I would want to have with that lawyer.
1: But let me ask you a thing about actual judging. So if you have a lawyer, maybe they're not doing anything unethical. And it, this happens a lot in family law. We have a lot of solo practitioners, maybe fresh out of law school, only a couple of years. So they're just not as experienced. They might not have the mentoring. They're ethical. They're doing the best they can. They're just not necessarily very experienced and therefore they're not necessarily presenting a great case. It's been my experience that judges don't hold that against the client. You're actually trying to get to the information. You're allowed to ask questions from the bench if you choose to. So it's not that you're going to necessarily penalize someone for having a bad lawyer, just like you're going to reward someone for having a good lawyer because ultimately, you've got to just get through it and get to the facts and apply the law. Is that is that an accurate way that you try to approach those different situations?
2: I, I think that's very accurate. And it's it would be incredibly unfair to penalize a client. That being said, sometimes the result that comes out may feel like a penalty to the client, but that is not... It's not a judge actively penalizing a client because of their lawyer's job. It's just their lawyer you know, may not have done a great job. And Seth is right. Judges in the family law division have a little bit more leeway to ask questions, but that's a very fine line. You have to be very careful that you don't cross over and give the appearance of advocating for one side or another. And that raises a whole other host of issues.
1: Well, I've got one more question because I know Pete's dying to ask one, but Is there anything that you're allowed to share, and if not, just don't share it, on advising or giving advice to our listeners on how to figure out whether they're interviewing a good lawyer for their case or not?
2: You want to find out from the lawyer, obviously, what their experience is, have they handled these types of cases, that sort of stuff. I also think that if you come to a lawyer and they say, why don't you ask... Two or three other lawyers about me? Or why don't you go interview with two or three other lawyers and then you make your decision? Those are lawyers that are confident in their ability. Uh, they are confident in their capacity to handle your case and they're confident that you're not their only client. A lawyer, when you walk in their door and if they, the lawyer immediately says, you're hot, you know, I, you're hired as my client and write me a check for X amount without going through and really getting a better idea of what your case might be about. I would probably be a little bit wary about that. And I took that same approach when I was a, uh, when I was a practicing lawyer, I, I was in a little different position. Uh, The firm that I practiced with by the time I left had 700 lawyers all spread out across the country so a lot of the cases that I had, they were institutional clients to the firm, you know, those sort of things. And they were hiring our firm and our lawyers for particular reasons. So it's, it was a little bit different, but you do have to be discerning as a lawyer as to who your clients are going to be. And you have to have confidence that if that client turns around and leaves your office, it's not the last client you're ever going to see. And I think lawyers that tell you, Go check out some other people, and then if you like me, come on back.
0: Okay, I've got, I, I think, two questions, and I think they're related. The first one, we were talking about the organization of the, of the courts, and I'm wondering what level of agency you have uh, as judges in the circuit to define how the court is run. And second,
2: the related part, how do you get the job? The answer to the first question is, Ultimately, every judge in the state of Florida is an independent, independently elected or appointed and eventually always elected um, constitutional officer. Each circuit also then has a, an elected chief judge, and that election is by the sitting judges uh, in that circuit. So that's how we handle things. That chief judge is the one who ultimately makes, at least in our circuit, ultimately makes all of the decisions as to where People are going to be assigned, that is what divisions of the court they're going to be in. There is guidance. When I first started uh, in 2015, there had been a group uh, of my colleagues at the time who had put together a recommendation of um, how long you were in certain divisions and when you could ask to be moved or what your seniority was and all those sort of things. So there is a sort of a guidepost as to where you are and when you can move and how long you stay in a position and 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 those sort of things but ultimately if our chief uh came to me tomorrow and said you're going to the criminal bench on monday there's nothing i can do about that um and i would you know it's sir yes sir i'll go wherever you want me to go
0: and suddenly your docket is thrown up and split with the other nine remaining judges
1: and whoever comes to fit you We got a family, a new, the guy from criminal or the woman from criminal bench, she's coming in and handling Judge Tibbles' old docket. And if I have a trial in front of Judge Tibbles on a Monday and the chief judge moved him to a different assignment and a new judge is sitting there, I say, good morning, Your Honor, I'm ready to proceed. I don't get to see, (laughs) I want Judge Tibbles or... Or, or maybe, thank God, Judge <laughs> Tibbles isn't here. <laughs> Most yeah. of the time, it's the second
2: response. Um, but but yeah, it, it, we don't redistribute the cases. Um, so it's judge, judge West goes to criminal and Judge Pete comes into my division. And bam, we're off and running at that point.
0: Wow. Okay. Well, you, you said it. You are a duly elected uh, judge. And it is election season. Uh, can, can we talk a little bit about that? How's it going? What do, you, what
2: do we need to know? We can. So, and I'll, I'm going to go back and briefly answer your first question uh, that you had, or your second question that you had earlier. Judges in Florida are, um, you can get on the bench by becoming appointed or elected. And um, an appointment occurs if there's a, uh, an opening in a term. Every judge's term in Florida is for six years. Those terms start, the terms start in January. Um, So, for instance, with me, I was appointed in uh, 2015. I actually started on May 8th of 2015, which happened to be my grandmother's birthday. And I picked that date on purpose. Um, So. But then what happens is if you're under an appointment and the next general election cycle that is more than one year after your appointment, you were on the ballot or you had the opportunity to be on the ballot. So there's a week. In the general election year, it's usually, so our election, uh, primary election this year is August 23rd. We have a qualifying period, which is at the end of April. During that qualifying period, I've got to file papers and uh, you, you pay a qualifying fee and you do all this other sort of stuff. But during that week, anybody can, uh, if you're a member in good standing of the Florida Bar and you've been practicing law for or you've been a member of the bar, Florida Bar for I think at least seven years, I think it's seven years, uh, you can put in to become elected at that point. You can put in uh, to be on the ballot. In 2016, I ran without opposition. That is, I qualified in that April time frame. Nobody qualified against me. I was never on the ballot. I started a new six-year term in January of 2017. So this is next election cycle up for me. And I do have an opponent this time around, so I'm running a, running a campaign, and that election is on August the 23rd. And, and frankly, it's, um, I'm very pleased with, uh, with the support that our campaign has gotten from our local community.
1: It's interesting. It, let's be clear about what it means to run as a judge in a campaign in Hillsborough County, Florida, under the, the rules. Judge Tibble is not allowed to directly ask money from anybody. So you're allowed to put a committee together and they can try to raise funds for you, okay? He's not allowed to go out there and talk about issues. Um, he's not allowed to tell you whether he's a Republican, a Democrat, or an Independent. All these are rules that you're not allowed to talk about. And you can have problems <laughs> if you violate these rules. So, for example, people will ask me about Judge Tibbles. and I can say anything I want about them. But that exact same question, if it's asked to Judge Tibbles, well, what do you think about this? Or what do you think about that? You, he, not allowed. So what is he allowed to talk about? Yeah, is there, is there anything oh, left? Right? right?
2: <laughs> there's, there, Pete, you, you hit it on the head. There's not much. Um, there, there is really not much um, experience. Uh, what I've done on the bench, I really shouldn't talk about particular cases that I've handled. Um, or particular outcomes, um, not allowed to make predictions, not allowed to go to certain things. For instance, if there's a, um, uh, a candidate forum and not all of the judicial candidates are invited, uh, you're not allowed to go. If, you are go. if there is another candidate forum and it happens to be a partisan uh, forum, uh, for instance, uh, there, there are forums coming up and there are both uh, partisan candidates, uh, so in 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 other types of races, congressional races or state, senate, or um, legislative races, and then judicial races. Typically, the way that those work is the judicial candidates will go first. They'll have their little speech. They can perhaps answer a couple of questions. They go off to the side. And typically, when the partisan candidates start, the judicial candidates have to leave. If there's a if there's any event where there's even if it's an event for me by my campaign committee, if someone is going to make an ask for campaign contributions, I have to leave. I can't be in the room. And we have at last count a little over nine hundred thousand registered voters in the county. And it's a county wide same, you know, same boundaries for the circuit judge as the county. So you're talking about, you know, nine hundred and two or three thousand registered voters where there's no television uh, there's not a lot of ads I mean all that stuff is expensive and you don't have you know partisan party money you don't have all these things that are coming in it is your campaign you committee. can't
0: talk about any issues there's no about,
2: issue to run on there's no issues to run on people are like, what's your platform well the fairness experience and integrity that's it I mean that's that's my platform
1: and I want to talk about that integrity part for a moment cuz I hear this from my friends like well Seth do you contribute to all the judges races I say no they're like oh well when you do you're going to get a little favor in court they're going to if a tie goes to the runner tie goes to the contributor one I've never had that experience two sometimes you're in court with someone else that's also contributed so what's the difference but three the honest Judges with integrity, the ones that you want on the bench making these decisions for these very important family law matters are so focused on their job and they don't want any appearance of impropriety at some levels. And this is my own experience, has nothing to do with Judge Tibbles. I feel that sometimes I have to do even better because there's not going to be the appearance like I did Seth a favor. Like that just doesn't even happen at all anyway. But sometimes I feel like "Mm, time might go against me. And I think it's an unconscious thing that judges do because it's ingrained that you have to follow these rules and they put on that robe for a reason to be neutral and they're not taking any sides. And that's what you need on the bench, right? So I think is that. Do you ever feel that, Judge, that that you have to check your bias or anything like that? Only if you can answer. Don't if you can't.
2: Well, I think I can answer that question a little bit differently. And I think it goes to the process that I try to use in every one of my cases. And that is, I have, and I said this earlier, I've come to decisions or results that if I were to just look at the case cold or you know, look at the facts and I were to allow, you know, whatever my morality or ethics to weigh into it, I might not have come to that same result. There's somebody's asked me the question, are there cases that keep you up at night? And the answer to that question is, as long as I feel like uh, I've given everybody a fair shake and I've followed the law, applied the facts to that, that's where the chips fall. And that's just, you know, there's really no other way to put it Um, but ultimately there are sometimes going to be those cases where it comes out a way that you might not personally want it to come out. And that, that's just part of the job.
0: This has been incredibly illuminating. I have to tell you, I am disappointed that there was not more dirt on Seth. I come to these shows. (laughs) with that expectation. And on that point, and that point alone, you did not deliver. But everything else, uh, it, you have been a great asset to this show. Thank you for, for educating us and helping our listeners understand what to expect when they uh, get in court.
2: Well, you just didn't let me go on long enough. I could have come up with something <laughs> on Seth. Um, and probably if Seth and I were sitting around having a beer, he would tell you the same thing. So, um, <laughs> But I, I, I certainly appreciate the opportunity. Um, one of the things as judges that we are really tasked with is helping educate the public um, about the judicial system, demystifying it, letting people know that, you know, we're all human. Um, and and I, I really appreciate the opportunity to, to, to get on the toaster and, uh, and, and be able to contribute in that way.
0: Well, tell us, uh, give us the plug. Where would you like people to go to learn more about you and
2: about this crazy season you're in the middle of right now? If anybody wants to learn a little bit more, uh, I have a website. It's judge Fairly simple. Um, I'm also on Instagram. I don't know what it is. If you just, I think it's keep judge tibbles or something like that. Uh, And also on Facebook uh, under my name as well. And then I have a page that is keep judge tibbles. So T I B B A L S. My, um, my campaign committee updates that stuff regularly. So you can figure out what we're doing and what's going on and, uh, read a little bit more about my bio on the website
0: well that's perfect hey uh everybody thank you so much for for listening for downloading this show we appreciate your time and your attention don't forget you can send us questions just go to com. there's a button right on there you can uh, uh you, you can push the button ask a question and uh we'll take it and answer it and uh, it could even be about uh, uh judging we'll we'll figure out an answer to it don't worry send it in we just want to hear from you so how to split a thank you so much uh, on behalf of uh, judge Dibbles and Seth Nelson America's favorite divorce attorney can I say that in front of the judge he doesn't have to agree feel, feels feels a little <laughs> dirty uh, I, I'm Pete Wright we'll catch you next time right here on how to split a toaster a divorce podcast about saving your relationships.